You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Dog. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. In this episode, we'll be concluding our three-part look at the case of the Kentucky Goblins. In part one, we related the story of the Sutton family whose small Kentucky farm was apparently invaded by mysterious creatures one hot summer night in August of 1955. In part two, we talked with skeptical investigator Joe Nickel about his naturalistic explanation for the events of that night. Joe concluded that the natural creature which most closely matches the verbal descriptions of the creatures that night was a great horned owl. But if you enjoy scary stories and think about the drawings made by the sketch artist shortly after the sightings, you'll likely find the idea that two territorial owls could be confused for a weird group of goblin-like entities unlikely. But the skeptical take on this is complicated. When this incident occurred... There was a big interest in flying saucer stories. Sightings of many craft and a myriad of little space people were being shared in radio, books, and newspaper reports. I mentioned that some of the people staying on the farm that night were carnival workers. According to Geraldine Sutton Stith's book on the case, Elmer Sutton and Billy Ray Taylor and their wives were coming in from the carnival in Evansville, Indiana. This is very interesting when it comes to being primed for a monster sighting. For just a few days earlier, the papers of Evansville told a peculiar story of a woman being attacked in water by a green clawed beast. I'll put some links to that in the show notes. But the point is that the country in general was interested in mystery aerial phenomena and monsters, and that the man who goes on to see a spaceship and then sees monsters is coming from a town where witnesses just reported seeing a monster. Primed for monsters, if the owl hypothesis is correct, the witnesses were in an atmosphere of increasing tension with long waiting periods between sightings of something that might have been mundane in normal viewing circumstances, but in the heightened mental state of fear and panic, became an unrecognizable monster. 
Maybe. The skeptical take also requires one to accept that people can be sincere in their descriptions, yet also embellish their stories, or misremember, or have any number of other common psychological conditions that make them earnest, honest, and yet wrong about what they saw. Or, perhaps there's another explanation. Certitude is not our currency here. In part three, we're going to talk about the conflict between the skeptical view of this incident and the more monster-tolerant view. But I won't be alone in this episode. Joining me to talk about this case and some curious ancillary issues are the hosts of a popular podcast called Astonishing Legends, Forrest Burgess and Scott Philbrook. They did their own three-part coverage of this case recently, and I linked to those episodes in the show notes for part one of Monster Talk's coverage, but I'll also include those again in this episode's show notes at monstertalk.org. In part three of their coverage, they did a deep dive into the Wikipedia entry for the Kelly Hopkinsville incident. Wikipedia is an online encyclopedia, and it is crowdsourced. Its content is written by volunteers, and it can be edited by anyone. It's often surprisingly accurate and is, in theory, always being improved and expanded. But it also has a lot of rules guiding how edits can be made. So let me say that by the time this episode has been out for some time, I hope that some of the things we talk about regarding this current article will no longer be true. But at the time of this recording, nothing has changed. Also, parallel to this episode going live, I'm posting an article on Skeptic.com's Insight blog about this meta-issue regarding the content of the Kelly Goblet's Wikipedia entry and the Astonishing Legends podcast. It's kind of a deep dive into why I believe that monsters are a great way to hone your critical thinking skills, which is the premise of this entire show, but also it's about the nature of science, the state of science journalism, and many other things. I hope that you'll check it out, and a link to that will also be in the show notes for this episode. What follows is, I think, a very interesting conversation with Scott and Forrest, and I hope you enjoy it. But I also hope that by the end, some of you listeners may be inspired to learn more about editing Wikipedia articles within their guidelines. And I know that we already have some listeners who enjoy doing this sort of thing, and I commend you for your efforts. Monster Talk. Here we go. All right, I'm rolling. Okay, cool. Me too. All right. So uh, today for Monster Talk, we are welcoming Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess, co-hosts of the popular podcast, Astonishing Legends. Welcome to Monster Talk. Thank hey. you. Well, <laughs> now we screwed that up. We're immediately <laughs> stepping on each other. All right. Uh, thank you and, and welcome. Yes. Yes. Thank you very much. We're going to do hand signals so we can not talk. That's what we do on our show, and we failed to do it just now. But thanks for having us on. We're very excited to be on your show. So I've mentioned you guys several times on the show, and I've told my little story before on my show, but just so you guys are aware of it, uh, I I sort of came to uh, my position as a skeptic after years of enthusiastic consumption of uh, paranormal and Fortean literature. So I, I still very much enjoy that kind of stuff, reading it, learning about it, um, and keeping in touch with what's hot in the paranormal. And, uh, so I came across your show while looking for that sort of thing. And I've really enjoyed listening to it. I think our listeners would also enjoy it if they don't already listen to it, but you know, it's different from monster talk. Our, our job here, as I see it is to, to use these monster topics as a sort of springboard to talk about science and critical thinking, because in theory, in theory, you can use those critical thinking tools on these topics without getting so uh, absurdly passionate the way people do about a lot of other things like politics and religion and other things that are belief-based. That's the theory anyway. 
<laughs> I, I find that in real life, that's not always the case. I think your show, I, I think we both think your show is a good counterpoint to our show. And it's 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 a nice fit. I think that you probably, I'm sure you have some listeners that would uh, immediately click stop on our show. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. <laughs> you know, but it probably works both ways. But we, we, we love talking about the paranormal. And yeah, we like to lean towards the unexplained and the, you know, the, the exciting part of the mystery to it. But we also like to be critical and, and take a scientific approach when we can. I mean, wouldn't you agree, Forrester? Yeah, well, it's it's part of the spectrum, because we try to look at the entire thing. And, and of course, we we often say this on, the, on our show, that we go from the woo-woo to the skeptical and rational, and, uh, you know, and try and find something interesting uh, somewhere between those two ends. So we don't discount uh, the, the skeptical. And, and, we, and like Joe Nickel would say, it's, it's we're not for the debunking position because you're immediately taking stuff off the table uh, or not considering stuff because uh, you're you're jumping to a conclusion that doesn't fit. So we may not agree with everything, but we consider it. And and that's the approach we, we like to take. How did you come to decide to put together your show? Like what, what led to you guys deciding to do? And so what, what do you think your focus is? Uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like, what is it you're trying to <laughs> We're still figuring show? that out. Yeah. What yeah. exactly are we? I think uh, it, the main thing was we had, we had realized a few years ago that we were having essentially the same conversations we are now having for a living uh, for fun. And we, and a lot of times it felt like people were interested in our, our tiny circle of friends were interested in the kind of stuff we would have to talk about. And uh, we also had varying backgrounds in that I like to take this really clinical approach to these stories, and then I would get into it with Forrest, and he uh, had, I would ruin that for Well, he <laughs> had this incredibly, um, this incredible repository of esoteric knowledge about things that I didn't even know about, just, you know, like details about MK Ultra and all this kind of stuff that started coming out, and being uh, that I was looking for something, having just working my way through the hard, harder part of being a stay-at-home dad. And I was like, hey, I've got to go back to making a living here. And <laughs> so I, I got to thinking, um, what, what are the ways that uh, we might be able to do something? So then we decided to put a show together. And part of the reason that we thought there might be a space for it in the, in the podcast marketplace was because uh, all the other shows that we found that were of a similar nature seemed kind of dry and serious and... and uh, um, and, and not that we like to be silly, but we thought th- this this space needs a more conversational approach to this stuff that makes it feel okay. We wanted to be a crossover show that worked not only for believers, but for also people who were skeptical as well to enjoy. And maybe if they're afraid to admit it, they can just turn it on and listen to it quietly at home. <laughs> That's an important point because, as Scott said, the, the first, uh, I guess, interest in this is the conversation, and that's how we structure our show. That's how we present it. Not everybody gets that, of course, because we get, you know, and, and probably justified, you know, lots of comments saying like, hey, stop with the uh, with the tangents, with the rambling and this and that. But uh, we're not, it's not a presentation. It's not a lecture. It's, it's, we do as much research as we can because we like to, we like it to be an informed conversation. But as Scott said before, it's like with certain friends, you can't even bring this up, even with close friends, because they just glaze over, they they tune out, and they're not knowledgeable, and they're not interested in it. But the people that are, and I'm sure you found this as well, is that when you find somebody who's like, they may not even believe it, but they love talking about it. It's such an enjoyable conversation because it's rare. So that's where 
you know, that's why we wanted to present it this way. It's like all the people out there that like to talk about this and like to hear about it, this is for them. And it's meant to be an inclusive conversation. And it, it does come across. It's very conversational. Uh, I think you guys, uh, by doing sort of a long form show, you're doing the same thing uh, we do, which is it allows you to stretch out beyond what you would hear on a regular 30 minute TV show or a 60 minute TV show. Uh, and also, uh, whether intentional or not, you end up getting listeners who feel like they know you because they've heard you in such casual conversation. So I, I think that's really neat because when I, I meet people who listen to Monster Talk, <laughs> they I feel like yeah. I know you, you but you kind of do. I mean, you know, I mean, there's aspects to us that'll never come out on the podcast, but you know, <laughs> well, I yeah. hope so. Yeah. We're, we're desperately trying to keep those, uh, under wraps. Yeah. But that's the, that's the beauty of podcasting. And in this medium is that you can do anything you want. There's, if we were a TV show, we get so many notes from the network or the studio. You can't do this. We want you to skew it this way because the marketplace is more profitable in this area. Oh, and by yeah. the way, you've yeah. only got 22 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, and nobody can cancel us. Yes. I mean, yes, exactly. except for ourselves and, and maybe if we'd lost all of our sponsors. So we try to avoid that and uh, do what we want. And, you know, and yeah, you're going to get some criticism and you have to toughen up because that's just part of life and putting yourself out there. But as you go along, that's what the enjoyable part is, is that you get to say what you want to say. I totally agree. And, uh, you know, I think when I started this, it was um, I think the idea was what they call what microcasting, where you're 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 targeting a very small audience, but you're giving them exactly what they want. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, you end up with a very loyal audience that, that comes to expect a certain kind of quality and a certain kind of material that that only you can provide. And I, I think you're doing that. So that's cool. Well, thank thank you. you. I hope we're doing it, too. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm in, I invited you on to talk about uh, something that happened uh, in, in a topic that you covered recently. And we, we're on our third part of covering the same topic, which is the Kentucky Goblin story. And there's a lot of things that you uh, guys and, and I know about that happen sort of off camera, if you will, off <laughs> yeah. mic. Uh, that, that, that the li I haven't talked about on the show because I wanted to wait until we could all talk together. Um, so I, I, that's, that I'm going to, I think I'm going to go lead into that sort of conversation. And then after we're kind of covered that and beaten it to death, maybe we can spread out and talk about some other things that we uh, also enjoy and, and like to talk about. Oh, sure. And, and we can beat anything to death. Yeah. Any comment? Excellent. Yeah, sure. like, <laughs> I'll hold it down. You get a club. Okay. All right. Very good. <laughs> so, uh, the Kentucky Goblins case. So, uh, like you, we, we covered the uh, the story as it was reported uh, in the Isabel Davis report, and then uh, I also talked with Joe Nickel about his findings when he looked into the case 50 years later. Um, but in part three of your show, you talked about something that kind of, if I'm if if I'm correct here, I think it came out of the Wikipedia article. Was how you first uh, got around to this story. Yeah. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, we, we try and look at uh, ev as many sources as we can fit in and have time for. And in looking, you know, that kind of comes up because it's one of the cases that's profiled for the Frontiers in Psychology uh, journal paper. And then you start reading it. And this is, it's funny how it comes about because I'm sure, as you know, with your show, uh, you'll hear a topic like, "Ooh, that sounds interesting," and then you start, you know. But I don't know much about it, so you start re reading a lot of different materials, and the deeper you go, and the more you read, it's like, "Wow, this is kind of unfolding into a myriad of rabbit holes." And just looking at that paper, I started skimming it. And it's like, 
Well, here's it. Here's a, you know an interesting perspective is that they were probably drunk and it was uh, you know it's it's been solved, mystery solved. It's it's owls. It's like oh, okay, well let me look into that, and then you start reading it. It's like oh, they're citing this paper by this report. Yeah, yeah. This uh, you know close encounter at Kelly and others of 1955 by Isabel Davis and Ted Blecker. I think you you you, you informed us on the probably the regional pronunciation of uh, Ted Blecker's name. Uh, and you start looking at it, and it's like, wait, that's not, I don't think that's in that report at all. That's a weird citation. Yeah, and in then, that yeah. report, it had 95 pages dedicated to the case. And since it was cited on the Wikipedia page, we wanted to take a look at it. And we read through the entire thing before, as we were preparing our notes on the show. And when we saw that reference in the Frontiers in Psychology article that suggested that they were that the family had, was inebriated and as a result they had mistaken owls, we took issue with the fact that that citation was out there in this peer-reviewed document. Uh, leading everyone who saw that to believe that the mystery had been solved and that was a conclusion when that information didn't appear in that report at all. So that's, I, I believe that's what you're referring to anyway. Yeah, exactly. That that's, is exactly right, right. Yeah. In, in, the, in the Wikipedia article, it, the actual sentence, like, I'm going to call it the offending sentence, <laughs> says, <laughs> <laughs> says, the aliens were in fact great horned owls and the eyewitnesses were probably intoxicated during the alien attack. And the Wikipedia article makes that basically the linchpin of the argument that this case is solved. Uh, yeah. It's a known, well-known, you know, it's uh, it's drunk people and owls, and that 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 resolves everything. So uh, to me, it sort of triggered this. Um, uh, I wanted to find out more about the argument because. I first of all didn't understand how it came to be. First, well, I guess the first thing I thought was they were citing something different. Like the the, the article cites Davis and Blecker, but it was actually referring to a Joe Nickel article. But then there's an additional issue that Joe Nickel also doesn't really say exactly what they say. Well, so, and, and therein, yeah. before we move, I, I do want to keep this discussion on the line that you've got it on. But therein is the other lesson for all of us, and uh, not that you need any lessons, but certainly Forrest and I do, and and that you really have to Wikipedia. Is, is pretty cool most of the time, but you really have to take anything there with a grain of salt because it is the more shows that we've done and the more research we've done, and we always use it as an ancillary source. It's never a primary. It's kind of a jumping off point sometime. It's a good way to find other sources, but a lot of times it has inaccurate information. Well, it, it's, it yeah, because, because there's, as you know, with these stories, there's so many differing opinions and, and testimonies and accounts, and and I think whoever's putting these together, and it's so, somewhat crowdsourced, they're doing a fairly good job. And they, as Scott said, it's a good way to look at the sources. You know, because you don't know that when you start off. It's like you can you can do a Google search, but give me some really focused source uh, references that I can then dive into. And that's what you need to do is then you then you got to check them yourself. You got to check them yourself. But an interesting kind of phenomenon is maybe that's happened to you is that you start digging into it. And then I, you know, and that that little light goes off in your head is like, wait a minute, is this is this kind of a big mistake on a Mm -hmm. worldwide platform? Oh my gosh! What are we getting ourselves into? That was a second thought because Scott and I said, "Is this is this a can of worms?" Yeah, sorts? it's like that Watergate moment, right? We're, we're it's an imagined drama. It's like, what have we discovered? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we're I, meeting I, an owl in a parking garage, yeah. <laughs> dressed in a. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Say nothing. I don't know if he, yeah. with the show notes for last week, I put a picture of uh, that drunken owl sculpture. <laughs> uh, uh, that is, uh, is oh, that, the wine bottle uh, caddy. Yeah, the yeah, wine holder. Awesome. Yeah. I hope you ordered that thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> they're out of stock, oh. but I'm definitely interested in getting one. I put a link to that item in the show notes, so but that's a that's got to go in my collection as well. Absolutely, so. yeah. Uh, but let's let's stick on Wikipedia here for a minute to a- answer your question. I know you've already run into it a second time where uh, it refers to a printed source, and you were wondering, wait a minute, I can't find that book. Is this really what the book says? Right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm actually looking at it right now. It's still on the uh, you know, it's just a mess here of uh, old past references to other shows. Our desk, yeah. But it's it's a, basically it's a coffee table travel book called Wonders of Bohemia, Moravia, and Silesia. And it's Moravia. Moravia, excuse me. Uh, you know, but, well, they're, Marav- they're, like they're Moravian both, sugar uh, Let's cookies. not get into that, please. Okay, yes. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, it's, uh, but it's a lovely book full of uh, pictures, and it's got mentions of all the castles and, and, and geological and geographical features of, uh, of the region of Bohemia. And uh, you, there's, the, you know, like you said, you, you read the article, the entry in Wikipedia, and it's like, ooh, it's uh, secret Nazi experiments and, uh, you know, evil uh, doings yeah, and, going this on. Specific to, and just to clarify for people that don't know, we just did a series on Castle Hoska in Czechoslovakia. Yes. And uh, not too far from Prague. And there w- the, the castle has a lot of interesting things, you know, bottomless pit to hell, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also there was an implication on the Wikipedia page that at one time, uh, there is proof that the Nazis occupied it, but... But there was an additional implication that the Nazis were conducting experiments there, and the Wikipedia page yeah, said but, that this book had that reference. Right. So that was clearly, I think, in, in the last line, of course, that's where you want to dangle the information in uh, in one of the descriptive paragraphs, specifically citing that it was in this book. It's like, man, we got to get a hold of that book because we haven't seen that anywhere else, and we want you know at least some confirmation. Again, it doesn't prove anything, but we can cite... Well, it showed up in this book. This researcher or author uh, found it and, you know, take it as you will. But we like to present it and let you make your own uh, mind up. And then we get the book and it's like, well, that's not in there. <laughs> it's not not only is it not in there. This book has like two pages dedicated to every castle in all three of those regions. Yeah. It's an amazing book. I'm very glad that we have it in the library. There's not even a page dedicated to Castle Hoska. Right. It's it's kind of a column. It's one of those uh, italicized uh, side columns like, oh, and by the way, there's this really creepy, weird ancient castle called Hoska and... Uh, you know, it, and it lists a few of the, the well-known things. Yes, you know, possibly, a, a, you know, covering a pit to hell. But let's move on. Yeah, the word, <laughs> like, you know. and the word Nazi doesn't, doesn't even appear in the text. No, so it's, it's yeah. really kind of a brief mention. It's like, well, that's, okay, well, that's a bit of a, a, so, a liberty or a mistake, an honest one. And same thing with the paper. You know, we tried to mention it. It's like, we're, we're not saying like, man, these guys purposely put in this, this fallacy or, 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 or that sloppy. But it's like, well... It's kind of a it's kind of a big thing that should have been checked and it just wasn't and it could be an honest mistake you know those things happen certainly we we publish things and we try and check them and some things slip through the cracks that's just going to happen but like but for the psychological paper frontiers in psych in psychology is that it's a pretty big and glaring one right at the top and I would have had somebody double check that is all so that's all yeah, we were yeah. Kind of saying. And, and I so let me throw one more Wikipedia thing in there before we start digging in on this paper. But the uh, I have I have my own Wikipedia story. So um, I, when I was in college, I, I first heard this this story. So are you guys familiar with Leopold and Loeb? The, yeah, uh, yeah, sure. The murderers or, or suspected right, murderers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Alleged, but no, no, they did it. <laughs> <laughs> we're not saying they did it, but they did it. Yeah. So uh, the. Leopold and Loeb uh, were imprisoned after uh, they basically did a thrill killing. And uh, in jail, uh, Richard Loeb was murdered uh, by another prisoner. And 
there is he was he he considered himself a genius. He was probably a sociopath. It certainly seems like, um, but uh, he there's a story that uh, after he died uh, that the newspaper uh, the Chicago Daily News had a headline that said uh, Richard Loeb, despite his erudition, today ended his sentence with a proposition. <laughs> because the story was that he had pro- made a, 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 a sexual proposition to another inmate, and the inmate had stabbed him to death. So, um, it's yeah. it's a very uh, it's dark, but it was very funny. It yeah. was way funnier to me in college. So, yeah. <laughs> as, a, as an adult, I thought, you know, I, I like writing and research, and I'm always going to the library to look up something. I, I should get that headline and print it out on my wall. I thought that'd, make, that'd be such a cool thing to have, you know, as a poster or some, you know, just a piece of artwork because it's such a famous story. Sure. So, so I actually, the Chicago Daily News is defunct. So I had to order the, the microfilm uh, and have them shipped to my local library. And then I dutifully went down to the library to go through it and uh, discovered that. That story is not true. Uh, and of course it's not true. I mean, think about it. This is the 1930s. They're not going to put a homosexual murder joke as a headline. Right. I mean, right, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> sure. Right. But, right. But I went. So Ed Leahy was a real, you know, a writer. He really wrote for the Chicago Daily News. But on the Wikipedia page for the Leopold and Loeb story, it has that entry. And it says that this really happened. Well, it put me in this weird position. No, it didn't. But the way Wikipedia works, how do, how do you show something didn't happen? How do you present negative evidence, right? Uh, yeah. And, and so there are plenty of sources, including uh, Ed Leahy's obituary and published books that repeat the story is true, but it's not true. So there's, there's, there's plenty of evidence that it happened, except that it didn't. Right. Uh, so so <laughs> I, I tried to make the change and was reminded that you can't, do this that basically counts as original research right so yeah. the deal with wikipedia is you can point to citations but you can't make you can't say because i know right <laughs> absolutely so yeah. if you look at the web page it's been rewritten so now it says according to one widely reported account he said that or that was the headline it, it's 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 not the headline yeah and if you look at the you know it with you can see the editing history on these articles and if you go into the discussion page you can look at view history and you can see there's like a discussion between me and i guess a guy who was sort of the self-appointed primary editor of that article about whether or not it was true or not and again it is absolutely not true i've, I've looked at every edition of the chicago daily news that never happened but i can also say that it absolutely is in ed Leahy's obituary it is published in these other books but it ain't so. So Wikipedia's got this weird uh, problem. It's crowdsourced, yeah, um, which is good, and lots of people work really hard to make it accurate. But in, in that case, and in this case about these Kelly uh, goblins, I think that the source that was selected to represent one viewpoint of this case was not a good source. Schmaltz and Lillianfield, Lillianfield were... Um, that was not really the point of their paper. Their paper was not a debunking or an examination of that case. Their paper was about the appropriateness of using sort of Fordian and phenomena-based topics as a way to think about critical thinking. Probably, or at least in my view, basically the same premise as my show, which is that it's a way for you to talk about this stuff without getting people riled up. Which is why the, you got riled up when we called the paper out. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I, I got I got nerded out. My wife is like, Did, so so. There's. Let me just add that there's an article I've written that I'm still editing because my wife's given me. She's an editor. Yeah, I'm married to an editor. That's awesome. That's, that's awesome. My, that's a handy. Uh, that's my own. Here. That's my own fault. It looks <laughs> like this paper. Yeah. This paper's got more. Mar- it looks like it went through a paintball war. Yeah. Really bad. My wife. <laughs> I, I, I'm hoping to get all her edits in place, and I'll send it back to you guys to have a look at it. I don't want to offend anybody. I believe it's an accurate paper, and good Lord willing, I'll get this paper up along with this episode next week, and uh, they can be. I can put a link to the show notes. Well, what, what this discussion is about. The drafts of it we've seen are, have been great. I think yeah, it's, it's no, extremely I, well written. Yeah, I would say, Blake, I'm, I was very impressed with it, and uh, you know, it's it's it follows all the academic guidelines. It's very clear, concise. I wish I could write like that. Uh, and you have some excellent points. And you, uh, and again, I think why we're all getting so along so well here is that you're not closed-minded. You are open to like, well, that's that's a good point. Let me consider that. Let me let me rewrite this section. Let me add uh, your your notes. Let me go back and see what you guys actually said. And it's so appreciated. Yes, and I also appreciate you cutting that section you put in there about my mom. I did. That was- <laughs> well, that was a well. <laughs> How dare what your you? mom yeah. and I had was very special. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. but, but that's the point: is that uh, you, 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 you're not, you know, putting anything on a shelf just because it doesn't fit within that. I think you're you're taking a very comprehensive approach to it and considering all the sources. You know, what are the what are the motivations here? And uh, you know that uh, it, talking about uh, Leopold and Loeb, that kind of lukewarm retraction of sorts sounded kind of familiar we should say so uh it, it, you know as this story unfolds but it's like well what do you yeah what do you do with that and how do you correct it because that was kind of one point one thing i want to make clear here is that that paper trying to instruct other uh college level instructors about how to teach uh, critical thinking and in, in terms of paranormal stories and and pseudoscience made a lot of sense to us it, they had very good points. It's but you're right. I think that example was like, well, we just need we need a UFO example that's been kind of solved. Uh-huh. So uh, <laughs> what's that one? Uh, Kentucky, geez. I, I think that yeah. Okay, so it's owls and yeah. There we go. That's that's good. Throw that in there. Let's not take another look at any of the sources on that to make sure. Yeah, and not only that, it was it. as a pe- it was up on a pedestal as the consummate example of how that kind of thinking can go wrong. And well, yeah, when there's so it was it was a double whammy of inaccuracy. Right, because there's really two different things going on here. One is the ideas presented in their paper as kind of a teaching tool. Secondly, it's the whole Kelly Hopkinsville case. That's two separate matters now combined uh, by these two researchers, and you've connected them, and it's a bad connection. Uh, because, uh, you know, that whole Kelly Hopkinsville case, we're still not sure what went on, but it's fascinating. But it doesn't really or should apply to their teaching, uh, you know, their teaching tool here, their, this paper, what, what the purpose yeah, of the it, paper is. It's it's not a good example of a, uh, what do you call it, an open and shut case. A, a known hoax would be a better example for that. It, it, exactly. I was thinking about, I mean, this is not particularly paranormal, but the... Uh, uh, Piltdown Man case, mm-hmm. or if you want to go more uh, like the, uh, I guess the Cardiff Giant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, y- you know, th- there's there's lots of real cases that were you know 
widely reported, perhaps even widely believed, that have been clearly, right. uh, uh, to use the word, I guess in the proper sense, debunked, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, because, so. because the, the argument is that uh, the problem with that, and that was one of their tenants uh, mentioned within, I think there's seven to nine, I can't remember exactly, but uh, the fact that something, like you just said with the, with the Leopold and Loeb headline, is that something is taken as fact or just accepted generally, and then that's it. That's for, for all time afterwards. We're all going to refer to that. Don't look into it any further. We've, there's no need to. And that happens on both sides with the, with the credulous and the incredulous uh, camps is that we're, we're done here. Let's, let's move on. And so it, that's kind of one of the ironic things we found about the papers that they're kind of committing that as well here. Is that uh, you know you're yes we agree it's been often said in the in the skeptical community is that uh, one of the problems here is that you know with the believers quote unquote they'll take something as fact and then just keep reprinting it and reprinting it and that's you know that's a human fo- foible that keeps happening you you find something you just keep going with it and nobody takes a fresh look at it well that's kind of also what was happening there so why because we're all human. And it's, yeah. a, it's a human tendency to do that. Well, and that's why we take what we do very seriously or as seriously as we can. I mean, even though we're more on the, the fun and mysterioso side of things, we we try really hard to make sure that everything we're putting out there is accurate because we do expect that it's going to be repeated and uh, that we might be cited as a source ourselves. So we take that responsibility pretty seriously and we try to avoid making any major mistakes. And I'm, I'm sure we, you know, the downside for us is that we cover so many topics in a year we only get three or four weeks to look into each thing, so it's it's really a tightrope. But we we take it very seriously, right? Well, where, where, where this I'm sorry, where, where, where the sticky wicket comes into play is that the things that are uh, debatable, and, and that's where we kind of have to leave it because, uh, as Joe often says, you get to a point where it's like, well, we really don't know, and what bugs us is always from either camp is the absolute certainty, declarative statement that bugs us because. You don't know. And again, people, yeah, we've just had a criticism, uh, I think, showed up on iTunes. It's like, uh, oh, I hate it when they say, like, well, you weren't there. You don't know. It's like, well, you weren't there. And so <laughs> we, 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 and we're not saying we know either. And that, that's the, the viewpoint that they jump to is like, well, you guys are saying you, you know this. Like, well, we, we don't know. All we're saying is that at some point we're going to have to leave. Uh, we presented all the information as best we can. You're going to have to make up your own mind based on your own beliefs. And it's so very personal. And we can't touch that. So... That's where we have to leave the conversation and we can keep debating it because it's fun and maybe there's new information that's presented. Uh, but at some point, it, like I said, it, it comes down to if people are arguing or, or, or critiquing us about something, we usually find that it, it's now drifted off into the realm of personal beliefs because you either don't believe that something is possible, so it can't possibly be uh, a considered a solution to this. Or uh, I just don't agree with you because I, you know, I don't buy into it. And if they have a valid point, sure, we're going to take a look at it. And it, we work so hard on these shows and trying to be fair and accurate as much as we can. And then some portion of our audience is still confused and fantasizing about Starfleet uniforms because you said seven of nine a few minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was one of my favorite characters of all time and continues to be. Yes. <laughs> but but in all seriousness, that 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 is all well made points there. The the uh, I I think the uh, you weren't there, you don't know probably triggers a lot of uh, scientific skeptic. People sure, because that's a uh, a common um, uh, for a lot of us who uh, deal with 
the debate about uh, creationism versus evolution. That's a, a frequent uh, yeah, creationist I argument. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's weird yeah. for me. That's a different discussion, but yeah, uh, no, no. It's just it's it's uh, to to use the uh, social media. You know, I know triggering has its like legitimate reasons, but it's one of those things where you, you say those phrases and they're like keywords for certain arguments. Yeah. It's really interesting. So absolutely, that's I, just yeah. I, I will just make a quick comment here: is that um, with us and our approach and, and our and our personal belief, uh, you know, scheme here, is that we do put some human. And it's funny, there's the humanist side uh, in a very general academic sense. And then our humanist side is, well, Travis Dow, who was a guest on our show for, for the Castle Hoska episodes, uh, he had a great way of, of summing it up. It's like, well, I don't really believe in kind of ghosts and demons and that kind of stuff. I'm very skeptical about that. I, I do. I've experienced some weird things myself. I can't explain them. I always try to put a rational uh, mundane pedestrian. This, by the way, this is a guy that used to give ghost tours <laughs> in Prague. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was yeah. his job. Yeah. <laughs> but but he loves history and, and especially he's very knowledgeable about Bohemia. So he's well suited for that. We're not saying that. It's just that he said, look, if you're one of my best friends, you're 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 my one of my parents, uh, a beloved relative. Uh, you know, I've, I've known you since childhood. And you tell me you saw a goblin in the garden. That's an oft phrase we use, but we know somebody who did <laughs> or claims to. Uh, it's like, well, I, I can't, I can't wrap my head around that. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't think I believe that. But if you tell me you honestly saw that, then I believe that you saw something weird. That's pretty unexplainable, because I know you. I know you. You don't make up stuff. You don't hoax things. You've never lied to me, as far as I know. I find you to be trustworthy. We we place a little weight in that. And a lot of people won't. And it's like with... And I, that's not yeah. scientific. No, that's, it's not scientific. We, because, we readily yeah. admit that. Uh, but that's one of the things, like when we looked at the Amelia Earhart story and we came to um, our own personal conclusion about what happened to her, we know that... there Because there's a lot of different theories about that. And that's an ongoing story that we're still involved in with uh, some documentarians now. And we're actually going to Atchison, Kansas next year to be on a panel about it. It's it's crazy. I think that might be a mistake, but we're going to go. Yes. <laughs> but we're going to... Yeah, we'll be the <laughs> least informed people there. But the... Um, but the the story that we went with in the case of, of her disappearance relied heavily on anecdotal evidence, which we don't normally do, but it was anecdotal evidence of hundreds of people. When it's a preponderance yes, of, of, from all of anecdotal of evidence, yes, sure. Military, military people, local residents, and all that. And when you look at all those different accounts and then you take the totality of that, yeah, that's not scientific. Yes, they're all dead now, although some were interviewed before they died. Uh, but for us, we actually do give weight to that. And there's no way that somebody taking, I think, a strictly scientific approach can even be allowed to do that. So they have to say, well, you know, that's interesting, but it doesn't count. It, it really connects to, uh, and, and, and again, this is another criticism that often comes up. It's the problem of eyewitness testimony and, and the, the, the facile thing to say is like, well, it's horribly, uh, eyewitness testimony is horribly, uh, you know, fallible. A lot of people mistake, uh, you know, seeing different things. And yeah, we agree. But do you throw it all out? Because uh, our criminal justice system, good or bad, uh, does not throw it all out. It counts for something. And my point with that, or kind of a, uh, uh, I don't know if it's a metaphor. Are but you going to tell the truck story? I'm going to tell the truck story. All right, right tell now. the truck Very story. Very quickly. <laughs> it's, it's like, okay, so your best friend uh, got in an accident. He got run over crossing the street. It's like, oh my God, what happened? It's like, well, I, I was hit by a truck. It's like, geez, did, uh, did you get the, you know, that's the old joke. Did you get the number of the truck that hit you? And he's like, well, it was a big blue truck and uh, 
Uh, I, I think it, it may have been a semi and, uh, you know, it's an 18-wheeler maybe. I, I didn't see it real well. And it was zooming by and, and uh, had a logo on the side. Okay, we go to the cops. We find out, like, well, there was a truck traveling down the street. It was a hit and run. But the truck was actually red. It was a box truck. It, it only had, uh, it didn't, it, you know, had six wheels, not 18. Uh, there's a lot of things that are wrong. However, you still got hit by a truck. Yeah, the bottom line is you got hit by a truck. So then you have to try to figure out where's the truck in, yeah, what in, the, line in of, the eyewitness territory. Yeah. In the eyewitness testimony, is there a truck? And in a lot of cases, there might not be. But in, in other cases, when you look at 100 stories that are all very similar, somebody got hit by a truck. Right. You're in the hospital <laughs> in traction. What happened to you? Let's start there. Something hit you. That's That, that was a massive, uh, 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 you know, compelling force. But what was it exactly? And that's where the that's where the investigation and the research comes in. So what actually happened to you? We're, we're going to start, much like Kelly Hopkinsville, to bring it back around. A lot of people, I would say, I, from what I gather from uh, Brian Dunning's article as well, and Joe Nickel, is that these people were genuinely frightened of something. It, it, in, and that's what I loved about Brian's article as well as Joe's, is that they were genuinely scared. Something freaky happened, some kind of an, an encounter. Let's start there. Uh, if Joe says it's not a hoax, I, okay, yeah, I just from all the 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 twenty plus or thirty plus on scene investigators, like these people are freaked out. There's two carloads of them. It does not seem like a hoax. They're they're genuinely frightened. Pulse rates are high. People are throwing up. Yeah, whatever it is, it's it's like okay, let's start there. Then what is it? So then you do, you know, and then your investigation leads off into different branches. But we're all starting from the same spot whereas something happened so or and this is another point we made if you don't if everything seems ridiculous then maybe maybe you do look back at it is that it's a made-up story why buy into it to begin with that's also an option but you have to decide as an invest as an individual investigator that's your choice yeah i agree that that particular case uh in has the whole problem of very little physical evidence um, and, and so it, 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 in some ways it comes down to sincerity. How sincere do you think the people are? I mean, is, separate <laughs> yeah, exactly. from the question yeah. of accuracy, like, are they sincere? You know, and that's a tough call. That's subjective. But a, a lot of people that night thought they were, you know. Yeah, so. and, and a lot of people throw that out because, again, that goes back to the you weren't there. And, and yes, that's, you know, there's nothing concrete to grasp to there. But uh if you start with that, there's a lot of people that, well, I don't care how sincere they, they seem. That We shouldn't consider that at all. It's like, well, again, it goes back to the best friend uh, scenario. It's like, do you do you trust your best friend? Or at that point, he, he tells you something and didn't want to because he knows that possibly you're going to totally reject that and think he's a wacko. Do you then just not be friends with him because he's a wacko? That, I, you know. And I just want to, calling back to something a few minutes ago, because I've been studying on it in my head the whole time we've been talking, uh, with regard to creationism and evolution, <laughs> yeah. I definitely was not there for the dinosaurs, but I have seen full, fully reassembled dinosaur skeletons. So that yeah, you, well, that's yeah. scientific evidence of uh, in, in that case. So uh, that for the for the you weren't there to be a trigger with respect to those two things. I, I don't think it applies because right. we have scientific proof that this definitely happened. Well, you, you got some well, evidence. Yeah, right. Right, right. That, that's the, uh, you know, the, that argument, that there's the whole field of forensic science, which tries to reconstruct the best possible, you know, 
uh, evidence into. But what, I guess what actually happens is you try to take the evidence, make sure the evidence is legit, and then you try to construct a narrative that works within the time frame, right? Sure. And and that that's true for for scientific mysteries, you know, from geological time, from cosmic time, you know, and from last week. Um, that's how humans. You know that's how we function normally is we tell stories right and so we get all these pieces of evidence we'll start constructing a story even if we don't even have any reason to i don't yeah, absolutely <laughs> if you yeah. you show people 10 pictures that may or may not be related and they'll start trying to make it into a story it's just it's just what our minds do uh but but that being said i i think one of the topics that you you we sort of talked about offline in our email conversations is, is um, the limits of science, right? So science, I view science as a filtering system to, to take away things that are untrue and leave you with things that you know are true theoretically. But all those things are provisional, right? So if you have a scientific theory about something, it, it's been tested, it seems to be true, it's always provisional because if new evidence comes along that falsifies it, um, or that shows that it's not true, you have to either account for that new evidence or you have to abandon your theory, right? Sure. And, and so we try to, I mean, that's just the goal of my show is to try to talk about those things. I think if I tried to always just determine literally whether a story is true or not, I would already be done. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. because way too many of the stories, yeah, we don't know. Let's move I, on to the next topic. By the way, yeah, we don't know about that one either. <laughs> by the way, you know what? you know what people suck at? Abandoning their theories. <laughs> oh yeah, no, for yeah. sure. No matter yeah. what they find, right. nobody's no, abandoning. Or right, you know, <laughs> it's very hard to be egoless because that's not a very human thing to be. We yeah. we want to be right, we want to be correct, and we want other people to believe us. Right. And uh, I, I it, one of the most frustrating things I deal with is over the past ten or fifteen years, I've become very very skeptical. And when people want me to believe their story, uh, the best I can usually do is say, I, I'm, it sounds like something really interesting happened to you, you know? And, uh, that's, <laughs> hey, we'll take that. You know, as long as you believe yeah. that, that I believe it. You know, again, yeah. again it's like people, the, the one argument is like, you, you, you know, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence if I'm trying to make you believe it. And if I'm a, a good enough friend with you, it's like, hey, dude, I saw a goblin in the garden. I've uh, I've been to zoos. I've seen owls. I've studied them in school. That wasn't an owl. Whatever it was, it, it did not seem natural. You know, I don't expect... I'm not trying to make you... I'm not trying to prove it to you. That's my point, is that, well, you know, maybe the one camp says, well, that's that's an extraordinary claim. you got to prove it to me, because that's it with extraordinary evidence. It's like, yeah, well, I'm telling you a story. It's like, you know, at some point, it's like, ah, I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh you know, we talk about the afterlife. It's like, or, or something uh, a, a crazy happens. Like uh, we, we mentioned this in, in one of our past episodes of, uh, you know, some, some song on the radio comes on that's so obscure. And uh, Rich Haddam, a screenwriter of the Mothman Prophecies, we we're having this debate about the afterlife. He said, well, you know what? Then prove it to me. Show me uh, the, the radio playlist from the radio station at that time. Who made the decision show. to put it on the playlist? Yeah, why it, did it go on at that time? And then my yeah, yeah. that was a that was a good example, a good, a good way of looking at that. I like that. Well, but but and then my point is like, well, you know, the meaning it's the personal meaning for me. It's like I, I personally, yes, I want to know that inform, information. I want to know did that was that a mistake? Does it not show up on the playlist? Ooh, that's mystical. If it didn't, you know, there was another song that played, but we didn't hear that song at that at that moment. Uh, and. 
I my point of view is like that. Yeah, that's all great, but at the same time, there's an emotional impact uh, that I'm going to live with because it has meaning to me. And Michael Shermer, uh, who, who I'm sure you know, uh, had a, had a, we talked about that as well. Had a very personal, somewhat paranormal experience having to do with uh, uh, the, the marriage uh, to his German wife and. Uh, a radio that came on and started playing that had been defunct for years. And, you know, he's still being, you know, one of the top skeptics and and, uh, best skeptical minds uh, out there. It's like, I I don't know what happened, but... Not just playing, but playing a specific song. Well, yeah, basically, and it had a lot of personal emotional context, which was beautiful in my mind. It's like, well, you know what? I, I, yeah, you can kind of research that, take that radio to a lab. Is this, are there some rusty wires? How did this happen? Why did it start playing this music that, uh, you know, seems to be impossible? Well, that's and, one way to look at it. And just yesterday, Forrest, you were telling me even Joe is giving over, has given himself over now to believing in intuition. <laughs> he did. Well, there's on his Wikipedia page, there's a, a little passage, uh, I believe, about. Uh, it could be, well, might, the, be, might be all made up then. Well, uh, <laughs> well it, supposedly it's his, his own quote where he had something with uh, a daughter. And I, this is personal family stuff, but it's been printed is that he had a daughter that he was not aware of. And and her suspicion or her intuition that her what was presented as her biological father was not actually her biological father. It was someone else. And it was Joe. And he says, well, you know what? That's such a heartwarming thing to a father or grandfather. And uh, I like it. It warms it warms the cockles, the heart of an old skeptic. I think something paraphrasing that. And so that's fine to me. It's like. That's a, such a lovely thing to to leave it at. Uh, but I want to make this other point. When you talked about being provisional and starting off an argument that way, is that uh, let's look at the provisions. Because from a skeptical point, and, and, and this is something also that Shermer said, I believe, on a, on a Jim Harold interview years ago. And I, so it's a little foggy to me. I should go back and listen to it. But, you know, he's saying, like, look, if we, if we take all the paranormal cases and, um, you know, all the strange, unexplainable things that happen, and we want to look at these skeptically with science and a scientific method, methodology. Well, there's maybe, and I don't know the percentage right, that's why I should go back and listen to it, maybe there's 10, 20% that we really just don't know. It's just so out there. We have no idea. Well, we set that aside on a shelf, and we look at the other 80%, that maybe there is some connection to uh, with a scientific explanation. A rational explanation, yeah. Well, and then I think Jim made this point on another uh, uh, following episode. It's like, no, 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 let's look at that 20%. That's the percent we should look at. Is is We may not get an answer, but why are you putting that to the side? So my bigger point with these stories is that, you know, and maybe it's part of the debunker area, and, and I'm not lumping Joe into that, but it's like, well, it depends on your, your personal belief system. If nothing... It can be uh, unnatural creature-wise, then that's off the table. If there's nothing that can be possibly strange that happens in our world, it's all explainable. It's just very strange phenomena, but there's a scientific basis that we can kind of understand. I kind of believe that with a lot of things, is that we just, it's, maybe it's science we don't know, is that little old phrase. But if you, can, if you don't believe that, you know, anything strange or unnatural creature-wise at Kelly Hopkinsville could have shown up, then you don't even consider that. It must be some natural explanation. We just have to find what that natural explanation is. And then you're getting into the need for cognitive closure. Yeah. Oh, on, yeah. On your own yeah. side. Yeah. So so I just want to bring that point up is that it, it, you have to start there. We Let's back it up to is there a even a supernatural 
explanation that we don't, we'll never find the answer to. Uh, is that one of the options to look from? Now, I think in, in the last episode that you had with Joe on, you know, he, he came down to saying, like, look, there's three possibilities. Either, it, you know, uh, it's, it's a hoax, uh, it's, um, it's a natural explanation, and, uh, or is it a misidentification? You know, is it, is it raccoons or bears or something like that? And that's, that would be the owl explanation. But I'm not sure, I'm not, again, I'm not putting words in Joe's mouth, but it's, if there's no consideration, if it's not possible uh, for it to be an unnatural, unknown, you know, creature, then that's not a consideration. So now you're looking at two things, and he doesn't believe that it was a hoax. So there must be a natural explanation for this. And what's the best one? Well, I agree with that. He makes a lot of great points about it being owls. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. Uh, now, in that scenario... That's the soundbite. That's what's going out on CNN. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only part yeah. that, that Blake's going to use in the whole yeah, thing. Right. Forrest like, came on. He said Owls was a good I idea. Heard was, it's, welcome to uh, Scott and Forrest. It was Owls. Thank you very much. But that's my We'll have that's you back point. for Mothman next week. <laughs> <laughs> but, and so, look, I will say, as a counterpoint, which you won't use, is that uh, I might be more inclined to believe what was owls if they were on psychedelic drugs you know the whole family in that scenario not to get to get into the uh, the weeds of this but i do believe in certain cases that's often uh, that's often misidentified for some natural creature i do believe that uh but in that scenario as the way that they described it could they have uh, could these people who are familiar with their surroundings and and nature and the countryside have mistaken it. It's like, well, I, I need a little something more. Yeah, I mean, Joe Joe himself said, you know, that, and as respectfully as he as he could, that you know, and having I think some uh, some personal experience with rural folks and saying, well, these are unsophisticated rural people. Yeah, sure, maybe they're uneducated. Uh, they don't have a lot of money. They are not uh, necessarily worldly. But this, if it's an owl explanation, it's that's not a worldly. There's no worldly knowledge required there. There's only going out in your yard every day because if you're living there and you're, you're a whole family, and we're talking about kids, adults, and the 
and the matriarch of the family, you're implying that none of those people can identify a creature that lives with them in their neighborhood. And additionally, in terms of the owls being territorial and assaulting the house, um, if why were they only territorial that night? Why did they never come back? Why haven't they been there before? Why aren't there a lot more stories like this from all over the countryside? It, there's, there's a lot of, for me, there's still a lot of open questions with all due respect to his argument, which he makes very well, by the way, yeah, on, no, no, on, your last, on your last episode, which we just listened to. So. Yeah, but here's the question, and I guess for you, because, you, you, you know, I, I think that's why we all get along, as I said before, is that uh, it's a love of the idea of monsters. So let's research that. And for me, the question is, for Joe and all the other skeptical writers and skeptical thinkers, and for yourself as well, Blake, will it ever be monsters? Will the answer ever be something monstrous? And if not... So that's that's a good question. I actually wanted to talk about that. So, okay. Yeah. So, may, so, so one of the things you've brought up uh, several times on your show is this grand unified theory of the uh, the bizarre. Uh, <laughs> oh, with the gut, the guppy, gut, uh, gut, uh, gut pee, gut, gut, grand unified theory of the paranormal, the gut pee. I yeah. think it is. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's you know that's actually an idea which is sort of. Uh, I think a lot of people would like there to be something like that, and uh, it kind of goes back to John Keel. Uh, a lot of this where. Keel, I, I, I'm also thinking in terms of, I've, I've got a whole bunch of ideas. It's, it's like a, a, a giant lake trying to come out of a faucet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Let me see, it's always let me see if I can yeah. throttle this for a second. Okay. okay. So uh, around the time of the UFO phenomena sort of popping out in the 1940s and 1950s, the uh, there were all these questions about what these things were. I, I, I think most people in general thought they were uh, intelligently guided craft but there were people who thought they were creatures coming from our solar system. There were people who thought they were creatures coming from inside the Earth. There were people who thought they were coming from other dimensions. It, it was kind of all over the place. And Keel kept looking at these questions and ultimately decided that it seemed more likely these were not extraterrestrials. They were ultra-terrestrials. Yes. They were yeah. from another dimension. They could just sort of step in here and step back out again. And that idea uh, of the uh, of the ultra terrestrial is is so infectious because effectively I think in a sense it becomes an unfalsifiable concept. It becomes a a thing that you can say. Well, the reason it's like Bigfoot. Yeah. Bigfoot has been hypothesized as an ultra terrestrial because yeah, sometimes he leaves evidence, but sometimes he just disappears in in a puff of of shadow. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know. They, they they just come from nowhere. So if if you Look at the opposite end of that spectrum. Uh, so if the ultra-terrestrial explains everything, I think the, the sort of flip side of this is, get ready, people, I'm going to coin a term here. <laughs> I, I think the skeptical position might be uh, summarized as the null-terrestrial hypothesis. Right. That no matter what, there's no inexplicable sightings. That it's always caused by failures of human perception. Sure. And that's a completely unemotionally satisfying i think i should have said <laughs> yeah. unsatisfying emotionally hypothesis but I, the more i look into these cases the more i become concerned that that's what's at the root of a lot of this uh and and it is so disappointing it is so <laughs> i want there to be monsters oh my gosh i, I yeah yeah I, I mean i i'm the guy who does a podcast about monsters aren't real let's talk about science but when i go driving in the country at night i keep hoping i'm gonna hit a bigfoot <laughs> yeah because but see I, that's the heart I, of a true <laughs> uh, a true researcher and investigator is that you you know i always say you know this is not 
common it's a common phrase but like you know the truth no matter where it leads they may not believe it but i i want to know what's going on that's the that's the heart of this it's like i've heard so many fantastical things by you know some personal sources uh people that i i trust what did they see i i just want to know you know i i want some kind of line to that and that's where you start. It's not because, yeah, what, what you're mentioning uh, as being the other end of the spectrum is that um, there is it, it's always, a, again, a, a pedestrian prosaic explanation. And I just have we just have to pick the right one at, from this small subset or a very large subset. So when you talk about ultra terrestrials and, uh, you know, and, and portals and, in, you know, dimen- other dimensions, which we always try and stress is not theoretical uh, physics takes a serious look at that mathematically. And of course we, they can't produce one, but it's on the table. And what that does is that it opens up and maybe answers so many of these questions. I think that's why it's such an appealing idea is that, you know, and if you look anecdotally, it's like, why are there Bigfoot sightings near UFO sightings, near a ghost sighting, you know, and with a chupacabra running around, uh, Linda Godfrey in her book, uh, monsters among us, had mentioned something about uh, a strange map overlays, like, wow, these weird Michigan dogman sightings, they seem to be very close to purported UFO flaps. What's going on there? Very And overlaying uh, Native American burial mounds. What's happening there? That's what we want to know. Is there a connection? And when you when you talk about, like, it, it's just, a like you said, a, a spigot where all this weird stuff is coming out, how does the spigot work? Is the spigot real? Where are they? Can we find one? It's at Skinwalker Ranch. That's, that's, that's what I was about to say. Yeah. Is, is, are there places <laughs> we, where well, This that is happens? how we solve all this once and for all. All, all three of us, we got to go to Skinwalker and live for like a year. We got to set up all the tech, just ah. get comfortable and wait for the one thing that will happen in those 12 months. I, I, I lost all my tech gear. It, it fell down Mills Hall. <laughs> <laughs> Which didn't exist, so you can't ever find it or prove that it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was there for a minute, and then it just disappeared. <laughs> but, but that is, I think that's one of the biggest ideas uh, we've seen developing, in, uh, you know, and I think every other person who hosts a show or does some research in it, is that uh, what you're seeing is something developing uh, that's connective in all of these realms. Because I'm sure you know this as well, is, is that when you, uh, when you first start off maybe 20 years ago, and, may, and to this day, of course, people don't get along who are Bigfoot people. They don't get along with the UFO people, who don't get along with the ghost people, who don't get along, you know, et cetera. Is that, again, you lock into, and you, it's hard to give up, your, your you know, hypotheses, and you don't mix with the other people because now nah, that's that's you're, you're, that's baloney. It's too crazy. Yeah, UFOs. That's crazy. But I did see a, a nine foot tall hairy ape you know, walking walking through the woods, uh, who left no trace of evidence. Uh, so yeah, you know, and and now that's the hardest thing for people to do is like, it, should we come together and connect evidence because that's how you you get better data sets and a general overall theory, well, that's a human thing. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but there are people working towards that. So there's no hope for the gut pee? No, there, I think there is, but it's going to take, a, it's gonna, like everything else, it takes a while. And it's like like all of uh, scientific discoveries, it's like, uh, well, we, you know, again, even in uh, physics, which is not that old of a science, you know, it, all of science is like, well, if you go back to the Renaissance, in the, in the course of human history, still kind of new. So we're still developing things as, as we go along, and things that were thought impossible 
certainly if you if you look at the health trends, it's like, wait, am I supposed to drink, you know, 12 cups of coffee a day because that's good? Next week, it won't be. Next week, yeah. Don't yeah. drink the coffee. Drink the red wine. No, wait. You're drinking too much red <laughs> yeah. wine. Should I mix them? Take no, vitamin B. Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah. No, so actually, you've just, that's, a, that's a pet peeve of mine because it's, it, it kind of speaks to the, the general misconception about how science works. They, there's all these – and we, we, I, we talked about this via email, so you guys have already heard my thoughts on this. But the, uh, uh, the idea the, – the way science journalism works is people take – papers and they try to turn those papers into stories this is why this matters to you good reader here's <laughs> how this is going to affect you and generally speaking these papers are so steeped in expertise and minutiae they don't really have any relevance they're they're pushing out the 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 scope of human knowledge by tiny little increments and they may themselves not even be true because each one of these studies needs to be replicated and, and understood better. And so that's not interesting for journalists. And journalism itself as a whole field is all screwed up. And so it leads people to think, oh, I can eat chocolate and become more sexy. I can drink beer and lose weight and all these things that are just simply not true. That's definitely none of those things are not working because I'm trying We've them. been trying for years. Well, I, I'm, yeah. I hope you're wrong because I'm trying both right <laughs> exactly. now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A good chocolate stout, but, yeah. But, but it leads people to become disappointed in science because it's wrong all the yeah, time. That's yeah, that's good when point. What's actually happening is science is working properly. It's filtering as it gets corrected. And then we slowly hone in on bigger truths over a really long time. And that is not that is also a very unsatisfying narrative. But it's, it's actually how it works. So, right. Well, that, that, the, the complaint that science changes is actually the merit of it. That's that's why it's valuable is because it pushes towards where the evidence leads, not where the satisfaction of knowing, you know, is. Yeah, absolutely. We, we had a, a, a listener write yeah. in who uh, uh, this person edits uh, academic papers and, um, you know, and has a, a good general science background. And I don't know if they took issue, but basically when it came to Kelly Hopkinsville, and I, I kind of made the offhand, you know, jokey comment is like, well, where, where does the word probably fit into a scientific paper? And this person's Yeah, point, and that was, j just to clarify, that was in reference to people probably being drunk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That that very specific social <laughs> uh, social uh, reference there in that, uh, you know, and then I, again, not being a scientist, like, well, do, you know, is it probably gravity that uh, ha has something to do with how the planets move? And th this person's point was that, well, probably is a good thing for the science uh, field because it leaves open possibilities to consider that we don't know. And, and yeah, that you, just exactly what you just said, uh, people get disappointed. It's like, well, you haven't solved it for me, so I'm going to look to things that are, that are kind of uh, fringy for the answers. I'm going to find another podcast. Because <laughs> it's more fun. <laughs> I, we get that. But, uh, but the idea that uh, probably should uh, does have a place with scientific thinking and and methodology and conclusions is a good thing. And I, I agree with that. Uh, but taking it to the specific point, and again, my it was pretty weak uh, analogy for me as far, you know, as, as far as tying that into the grand unified uh, theory uh, is that, yes, in, in the sense of science, let's leave open possibilities. That's all I've been saying here for the last hour. So, but when it comes to uh, a very personal and social and social background kind of a, a attitude towards this. When you say probably drunk, to me that's libelous because you there's no as far as that case goes, 
there was nothing that pointed to immense inebriation with any of these folks. And now that's hanging out there. And for that, you know, uh, I believe if you're from the South and, and parts, you know, everywhere else, I'm sure all of, of many people do, is that your, your family name counts for something. It's only, by the way, techni- I just learned this yesterday. Yeah. It's only technically libelous if they're alive. Uh, you cannot libel ah, or defame someone who is deceased. Right. I looked that up last night because we were uh, casting aspersions on the John Bell family. <laughs> well, so, <laughs> it, it, yeah, but the idea is that you, you've you now, all of your relatives... But uh, I agree with you, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I'm just all, making a joke. But basically, all of your relatives were horrible lying drunks, and that's what we're intimating. So when you say, if look, you know what? My thing is the truth, wherever it leads. If you have proof that uh, my great-grandfather was a horrible drunk and made all this up just for publicity because he's a uh, backwards carny, okay, you know what? I can't account for you know past relatives' behavior. I'll accept that. But you better have some proof rather than just, well, maybe that happened, and that would explain a lot. So that's my point in this case is that uh, I don't think probably should fit within their paper or this case unless there was a lot more evidence pointing to that and a bunch of crushed up beer cans in a trash bin found the next day uh, by the uh, bud from the radio station does not point to me as fairly solid evidence of the entire family being drunk including the kids and also the testimony of the the, the police chief that, that went there that night and he look again getting personal here You've had a drunk person talk excitedly in your face. You know you've had, they've had some beers. Yeah. <laughs> you could smell it. It's so obvious. And especially if they're excitable and, and slurring and you know, jabbering away, it's, it's pretty noticeable, especially for a law enforcement officer. They see that every day. And, and, and they have people lie to them every day. You get a sense. That's you know, kind of nebulous there, but you get a sense that that's happening. And uh, it was one officer, I believe, on scene uh, one of the deputies is like, yeah, I think this whole story came out of a bottle, or maybe that 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 phrase happened later on. No, that was a that was a deputy, I believe. Yeah, right. And yeah. so, well, what's that? You know, he's yes, he's from the area, but you know, what he that, sees these people a lot of hits. times, what that is is the witness who gets there and is scared to death of the concept of aliens. Yeah, and then that's what they say. I mean, we have we have a friend who doesn't even listen to our show. He's a close friend of ours, and whenever we get into any discussion about almost any topic, he it's like Forrest said earlier in our discussion with you. His eyes kind of glaze. He just shuts down, and it's it's what you see in him is a fear of the idea of anything irrational, and that yeah, and and you've got to take into account in any of these stories that people just like him are also on the scene, and they're going to say what you. They were all drunk. All right, I, I got to go. You know, it's it's that kind of thing. It's the most likely, yeah. In that case, it's like, again, for a natural creature, it's like, it, it can't be aliens. It cannot possibly be aliens. They don't exist. So we take that off the table. Ultra-terrestrials. I don't even know what that is. That can't possibly exist. So let's look at the subset of what we have here. Well, booze, sure. That's, uh, you know, what these folks... <laughs> Although yeah. the matriarch supposedly didn't allow it in the house, and there was no evidence, well, and, and there was no and evidence again, of hard that, liquor, and it's not a hallucinogen. Exactly. That's the one that really gets me. But, I, you know, to be... Um, I, 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 well, I think I, I, I say plenty in that paper that I'll, I'll post a link to. Sure. But mm-hmm. the, uh, 
the the Schmaltz and Lilienfeld again that wasn't really what they were supposed to, that's not really the point of their paper right right, right. That's they true. just picked that's they, true. They, they they picked a bad example they they didn't put the correct citation in there's problems and we talk about them to death in there and I think <laughs> which is <laughs> yeah, fine yeah. Yeah. but 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 I think on the other side of that so let me just say one thing in the defense of that that the owls and that 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 we're not really even in the Joe Nickel discussion, we really didn't get into it. What I kind of had hoped was that uh, Rodney or, or Scott would talk to me about their version of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah not you. Right? Yeah, 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 no, yeah, I'm yeah. just I'm clarifying <laughs> for the listeners. I'm sorry, I do that automatically. Yeah, is it right? Yeah. For, for Rodney Schmaltz or, or Scott Lillianfield, uh, they didn't have time to talk to us. Uh, but one of the things that happens in psychology is uh, this idea of priming, and we kind of hinted around at that. Uh, that at the time this sighting happened. These stories of little spacemen were all over the place in the news, and they were uh, uh, they were big in the zeitgeist. They were showing up sure. in TV shows and movies. They were showing up in radio reports and newspaper stories. It was a really popular idea. Then we get somebody sighting uh, something in the sky and coming in and telling everybody. But even though they don't believe his story, it certainly primed them to be thinking about aliens. Uh, I guess what I, my my thoughts about this are: if it was an owl, it wasn't. It wasn't that they saw like this sort of you know Wikipedia image file of an owl, a clear shot. Yeah, they saw something weird swooping in and out and hopping around in the darkness, and it was not something they were used to seeing, and they were already thinking about aliens. I can see how that could twist things, and it wasn't a continuous four-hour thing. It was a it pops in, then they wait twenty minutes, and it pops in again, and it you know. It it was uh, and they were heightening their own fear. There was a lot going on that night. That the the group psychology of being afraid uh, is something that we know can alter our perceptions, but it's not really well understood because who wants to put together a study of that? I mean, that, there's all kinds of ethical considerations, but we know out of stories when people are in extremely stressful situations perceptions all over the place and the very fact that they don't have a consistent story across the board was actually something joe cited as thinking maybe it made it more likely it was a true story if everybody had exactly the same story it would be more suspicious yeah yeah so as a skeptic you know i'm willing to hop on with joe on the occam's razor bandwagon and say you know if we can't postulate that aliens because that's just a big stretch with we don't have enough evidence to support it then then an owl seems to fit a lot of the, the characteristics. It doesn't match the drawings at all, but it matches a lot of the story characteristics. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and we're not, yeah, we're not disagreeing with that. That's why you said if, if yeah. it's a natural explanation, like, well, owls is a it's a logical fit. It, I'll leave that on the table. Absolutely. Another thing I love about Joe, and I think his background, reading up a little bit about him is I, I absolutely believe in the mechanics of magic. And I think he was a stage magician uh, early on in his career. He's done so many interesting yes. things. It's fascinating. So yes, from, he has. And, and I, <laughs> yeah, and I totally believe uh, a card can be forced. And for the audience that doesn't know that, it's like when you do the, the magic trick. Well, even like, I did that when I was a kid. I could force a card. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah. and that's, a, that's a front-loading, or you know, it, it's basically putting that uh, image of the card in your head. When I ask you to guess a card, that's what comes up. Yeah. And so, yeah, I do believe that, that some of that could have happened where that's your example of priming yes exactly yeah. my example of priming where it's, it's there's such buzz about little green men and, and and that's even the description that people go to that wasn't even accurate it's little green men from kelly hopkinsville and then people say that gets accepted because it's it's in the zeitgeist uh but 
will it's it's just so you know it's it's so foggy about all the details what happened more than 50 years ago uh that it's hard to really kind of define these things and from my point of view as to really what did they saw were the descriptions accurate um you know the 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 uh, davis and blecker report i think is probably you know it's probably the best thing you have that's contemporary of the time uh but it's it's really hard to define so yeah some things could be uh primed uh, i i believe in that phenomenon and and again if you're a stage magician you certainly do uh, yeah, and I, I just want to say I'm open to changing my mind about this. Ca- we're, we're neither one of us are sticks in the mud. We we have our points of view. Uh, if, for example, I now agree that uh, Blecker is pronounced Blecker and not Bloker, um, but <laughs> and that's and just then, going off one source, which is Blake, and you know, it's kind of kind of spurious. I don't know. But, but yeah. uh, you know, here's the thing too that I thought that was interesting about, and I only had a second to look this up before we got on the phone with you today. But one of the things that Joe said in your in your last episode was he mentioned the idea, and you guys talked a little bit about the idea of owls actually glowing, and that was new information to me. And I thought that that was interesting, and I just did a very cursory search on it uh, for five minutes before we got on the phone, and I found some indications of that, but they were more allegorical kind of Astonishing Legends type stories, like some guy in 1908 thought he saw an owl that was glowing. I didn't find anything scientific that pointed to that. Me either. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, I think, I hopefully we wrap that with the, this is things I've read, it's not scientific, it's not yeah. from a science journal. You probably did. Just, I was listening at double speed and it yeah. was like this, so I'm not sure, it's because yeah. I was frantically trying to take the <laughs> yeah. episode in before we got on with you, so. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> Our cursory approach. That's yeah. absolutely, I guarantee you a huge portion of but, our audience are double speeders. Yeah. Really, uh, <laughs> I, geez, just stop talking about It's fair about payback for me listening to episode three of that series like five times. Right? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but that's the thing. There's there's so many uh, you know again we you know we've before maybe sounded a little bit dismissive saying you're trying to pound that square pig into the round hole uh, of the uh, you know of the prosaic and you know with these elements it's it's like well if you make a little bit of a stretch here and there in all these areas it's like okay well yeah the owls glowing it's the, it's the fungus that's bioluminescent it got on the owls it's on the moss that's what they saw on the ground. That's why the owls glowed or appeared to eye shine, the feathers, all that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, if you if you take each one individually, um, it's a it's a tiny bit of a stretch. But again, if you look at uh, the main descriptions, it's like, eh, it's it's it becomes. I, I think in uh, Gestalt here, it becomes more of a stretch to me when you add up all the things trying to fit into that. Well, description. One, of the, one of the other things, too, about this, and I, I, I know that your show doesn't run that long and you've made the mistake of calling us, but yeah. one of the other things about this <laughs> is that uh, with regard to the owls, uh, Joe had also mentioned how the feathers look like they have fingers on the ends of hands, right. and I completely agree with that because they have those individual feathers that uh, come yeah, like out. Pred- like uh, raptor birds do, sure. But the thing is when these owls are in uh, an aggressive position, they're not holding their arms up in the air like they're at a bank robbery from the Old West. <laughs> they're actually spreading their wings out sideways and making their bodies as big as they possibly can and it's not a time when you really see those uh, feather fingers at the end of their wings so if they're involved in a confrontational behavior with the people in the house I don't think that that lines up as to what Forrest's point that he was just making it seems like a lot of these little things that might almost be right are being shoehorned to fit the owl 
scenario to just you know yeah that's just no no it, well and, and again I, I I believe Joe said and I, I th- this is certainly how I feel about it Joe Joe felt that these like when you look at all the the descriptors this was the real animal that most closely resembled the most of the check boxes I would absolutely that, agree with that yes yeah. me, me too but if, me too okay right. there's your second and sound bite. It, it, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Agree. It's just going to go, it was Al's. I totally agree. I think there's things that don't fit. And I, I questioned Joe about that. And his response was, I'm trying to find the things that do fit, uh, that would, don't require me to create an alien. You know, that's that that's the Occam's razor effect. It's, yeah, right? and it's a oh. good approach. Yeah, it's but, a good but, approach. And the, and, yeah. but you just, yeah, so there you, you just mentioned it. Again, not to lump Joe into that, but like that, what you just said, that don't create an alien. Uh, yeah. Because, okay, yeah, it, so it, if but you're... That's, if that's you're, really, I mean, it's what real animals can we say, you know, fit this bill, yeah, right? You know, what, what that we know exists. And, you know, there's, the, so... It's frustrating because <laughs> no, I can't. I, it, it's like we are very frustrating. Yeah, we we get that. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. It's not you. It's, it's no, but this, this the idea. Whole field. It's I hard mean, to because yeah, no, because yeah. I see what you're what you're saying, Blake. Is uh, you know, if we're following Occam's razor and the simplest explanation, then that precludes aliens. But by the same it token, does. if you're saying uh, what Forrest is saying is, if you're precluding aliens, you're not being you're not taking a the open minded approach to the possible explanations. Uh, but on the other hand, how can you put aliens in the mix when yeah, we you have can't. no categorical information no. to draw a comparison from? Uh, yeah. uh, well, so we do have a little. So I, we talked about this a long time ago with the, an astronomer, okay. Phil Plate. The, uh, one of the things we could do if we had like a real alien craft or real aliens is from an isotopic perspective, if we get any kind of sample of their body or their equipment – it shouldn't look like material from Earth at the atomic level, and that could actually be tested. So, so the tables far, have turned. Yeah. So what needs to happen is we need to probe the aliens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, for sure. You'll, you'll, I, you'll feel the same reason pinch. that you go first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, uh, there are people who legitimately get into—I say legitimately—they get into very <laughs> heated conversations about whether or not we should kill a Bigfoot. Right. right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and from a, I'm in the kill camp. If it were real, <laughs> really? take well, one, he's right? from Georgia, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. That's the, yeah. I, I oh, yeah, absolutely you're a am. Too. Right. That's right. I, I am. I'm mean, not a, not a frequent hunter, yeah. but you know, like like every good Georgian, I've got a gun and a freezer to put my big foot <laughs> yeah. in. Yeah, so. <laughs> like, I, I I killed an ant crawling on our table last he, night in yeah. the studio, and I still feel bad. So oh, I don't geez. I don't think yeah. <laughs> I don't think I could kill a bigfoot. Yeah. I, I the older I've gotten, the less. Uh, comfortable i've become with hunting in general yeah. but there I, is that I, one I have a, one story of the guy who had one in his sights and couldn't bring himself to pull the trigger well that's the know. thing most people don't are out in the aren't out in the woods with a tranquilizer gun so yeah. i say let's the best of both worlds we we dart it trank it yeah it's but like i said you don't have uh you know usually park rangers now there's been a lot of accounts from park rangers who've been out in the woods and seen something but nobody's prepared for that and frankly, it's like I get to the point where you say like you, you you've become more skeptical over the years, Blake. It's like I've gotten to the point where I'm not sure there's ever going to be an answer for any of this, really, because I you know are we allowed to know? And we get very you know we get very you know philosophical. Rich Hadamy. Yeah, exactly. Very <laughs> philosophical about this, but maybe it is something that uh, it's just beyond us right now. I you know imagine if we found. 
proof. I, I always think about this. It's like, what happens tomorrow when the UFO lands on the White House lawn, to use that old trope? But, but, that's, uh, but that's the interesting point for me, is that if you do then uh, include uh, research, wow, you've just opened up a whole, that's a whole other spigot that are now tied to the same sink, in a very poor metaphor. You know what I'm saying? Is if, if we do consider, uh, like you said, uh, isotope uh, ratios that are not found on Earth, uh, that is a consideration. And it's interesting because we had a very late night session uh, recording last night for our own show. And as, my, as is my tradition, I drive home listening to Coast to Coast uh, because it's on. And, and of course, it's, I find it interesting. And uh, oh, yeah. They oh, had, I love Coast yeah. To Coast. So last night they had uh, Whitley Strieber on. Uh, Talking to George Norrie as a, as a guest or co-host. Yeah, he was. Co-host. Yeah, he was a guest on or, or guest. And yes, uh, his yeah. basically, and I, I, I said a late night text as soon as I got home to Scott to like let's look into this tomorrow because I want to know what's at the bottom of this. And Whitley was talking about uh, Tom DeLonge, who is from uh, the the band uh, Blink One Eighty Two, and he was starting kind of a Robert Bigelow type research uh, consortium, I guess, and. The other things that uh, uh, Whitley had mentioned is that, you know, he went to Contact in the Desert uh, this last spring. Sorry, Contact in the Desert this last spring. And Jacques Vallée was there talking about, we have samples of, of uh, isotope ratios that are not found on Earth or in the known universe as we know it. It's time to look at these seriously. And I don't, you know, again, we, does he really have those? Or are they on display somewhere? Who knows? Uh, but Whitley's point was that uh, it's time to now for serious science to start taking a look at things that have always been dismissed, dismissed, and probably will still be dismissed. But it's it's you know maybe heading towards that area. It's like well the things that sound kind of crazy, maybe it is being studied. We just don't know about it. But it's it you know it's the hope that this will go mainstream. Uh, that, uh, you know, people, when, when Edgar Mitchell, the uh, Apollo uh, 14 astronaut who's been on, on the moon, says, hey, I've talked to people in the, in the shadow government, so to speak, and they say a lot of this stuff is real. And when you have a former CIA, um, uh, I, I guess, a, not an agent, but somebody who worked with the CIA in terms of the Department of Aerial Threats come onto this uh, consortium, with Tom DeLonge and saying like, yeah, there's something to this. You know, Whitley's point is that should we all then start putting this back on the table or, or just not shoving it off the table to begin with? Yeah, it's, it's so this is, I call my show Monster Talk and we typically focus on monsters because of all the paranormal topics or Fordian topics or fringe topics, it seemed like the safest one. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's the one I could talk about without infuriating people, I hope. Yeah. Uh, I've always kind of avoided UFOs because by the time I got involved in reading about them and studying them, which I've, since I was a kid, really, it had already become such a passionate uh, belief system for people. Uh, and it and it's kind of like, uh, it it's kind of merges with conspiracy theories. If you believe that there is... Um, a sort of a global conspiracy to hide the truth about UFOs, it it, it sort of puts you in a, a really weird uh, anti-government, anti-organized uh, uh, society kind of spot where you can't trust anybody because they might be in on it or... Uh, you know, there's people who are in control, and they are uh, they're hiding the truth. Yeah. That sort of th- that kind of, that, that kind of thinking bugs me yeah. because 
What I what I really think, which is also equally frightening, is there's not anybody in charge at that level. I'm, I'm completely. <laughs> right. uh, that's what yeah. I was just going to say. I'm with you. I think that, that if there's a secret, it's not a coordinated effort. I think it's yeah. uh, a lot of little bits, sort of working towards a vague right. uh, guideline that there is no oversight of. Right. They may because it is so. If it is existing, it's so deep underground, literally perhaps that there is little you know global coordination. Yeah. Now that is a theory. It's more like when something happens, they're like, "What do we do with this?" So I, I'm not going to. Are you going to put this on? No, I'm not putting this. <laughs> We're not on sharing. We're going to get fired for sure. You yeah. Know, like. <laughs> But another interesting point, why yeah. <laughs> what you're talking about being controversial is that not only does it point to uh, or include government conspiracy on the deepest levels and, uh, you know, public belief, but you're also talking about religion. And because, oh, yeah. you know, this has been often said, if aliens do exist, what's their origin story? What do they bow down to? Where did they come from? What does that mean for us? You know, and of course, there's tons of theories. You know, they they spark human life. We're we're kind of a seed planted. All this kind of stuff. Uh, so it brings into uh, pers- You know, it brings into the discussion deep down personal belief, especially if you have oh, yeah. uh, you know uh, religious beliefs. And uh, it, you know, and now even the Vatican is saying like, no, we have a we have a paper. If this comes out, we have a position. So in that might be somewhat tongue in cheek. Who knows? But uh, they're thinking about it. And because it involves them, uh, because now you have people who are so far advanced ahead of us. Uh, and again, it's that, uh, you know, the, the, the postulation that uh, it's not good for uh, you know, the Mesoamericans. It ain't going to be good for us. And, you know, Stephen Hawking, I believe, has said that. It's like, you don't want contact because look at, look at how it's unfolded for the people we've conquered or, you know, the first world peoples that have conquered, uh, you know, the people just doing their own thing in their undiscovered lands. They get to us and it's like, now uh, you're all pets. So, right. <laughs> you know, so, so again, it's well, a very personal thing. Well, we don't even need conquerors. We'll conquer ourselves by <laughs> devoting our tire, all our lives to cell phone screens. You know? <laughs> yeah, we've all, yeah, exactly. We've been conquered. Which is how most people cloud. are listening to this right now. <laughs> right. Your God is bejeweled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Multiple screens. And, uh, While I'm old, did you see? I, I go for my, like, grab a video game and I pick bejeweled. What is wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> my wife plays it every day. Yeah, because, you know what? It's... it's, uh, it's um, Graspable. You 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 get the game. It just does the one thing. Uh, yeah, it's not an unfolding world with multi levels on a global scale. It's just like I I just want to make these little things pop and 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 hear a, a you know a slot machine kind of tune play. I hear no, exactly. It's the slot machine reward system. Yeah. it's exactly what it yeah. is. It's the same thing. It, <laughs> it is far cheaper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's uh, but again that goes you know re- bringing this back to the to the bigger discussion is that. It's uh, it's accessible. It's attainable. You can you you get it. It's not something that I don't have to learn a whole new religion or way of thinking to join this thing. I, I it, that's what's pleasurable about it to me. And uh, you oh, know, yeah. so many of these other things that we're talking about are so uncomfortable. Um, and even people that are longtime fans of ours will will tweet like, "Man, I I love your guys' show. I just could not wrap my head around that last topic." I mean, that's fine. And and but you know, and and our goal really is to just introduce you to them. And not, we're not trying to convince you one way or the other, despite what a lot of people might think, is that, you know, if you haven't heard about it, isn't it interesting just just hearing about it and uh, and then forming your own, you know, opinion and yeah, totally yes, dismiss yeah. it. That's fine. It's We don't buy everything either. It's Some of it's 
a little way out there or it just doesn't make logical sense to us. Uh, so we have a different, uh, a varying opinion about it, but we're glad to have heard about it in the first place. Oh yeah, and it makes the world a more interesting place. I, I, absolutely, I really that. absolutely. So I, I think um, what what this conversation has done for me is uh, let me talk about some of these uh, these ideas that are kind of bigger than monsters, but the the ideas of science and the limits of science and the role of science and the way we think and. Uh, it's it's doing the show overall in in my life has has uh, improved my education because I've gotten to talk to some people that you know and ask questions I never would have gotten to ask unless I was taking very specific classes and courses. Oh, because sure. I, we've had a lot of a lot of people, so it's been really educational for me and hopefully for the listeners. Well, we just but, we want to apologize in advance for the drop off in audience that we. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I no, your show fills a different niche, and I think. Uh, it's 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 entertaining. It's extremely high quality. Um, it's taught me about uh, you know delivered food services. And, you know <laughs> the, right. the best kind of mattresses. So. Oh yes, no, it's a <laughs> yes, helpful, bread and butter. Yeah, helpful product information there, uh, which we all have tried but, uh, and 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 really endorse. So yeah. In all seriousness, though, I, I think um, while we have different uh, approaches to the material. Uh, your show does a good job, and I like it. And I just thought this was a fun and interesting way to look at one, just one topic, but the way that it actually bleeds over into so many big ideas. So yeah, uh, I, I I appreciate you taking some time to talk to me about oh, it. Oh, absolutely. And, um, and you and know, I, and, and Blake, that's that's kind of the idea is that you you just mentioned the uh, the adjective or or the noun here. It's entertainment from our perspective because that's why we're doing the show because it entertained us to begin with. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, not yeah. that it's like we're going to get to the bottom of this. Like, well, we're not scientists. Uh, we we love people. You know, God bless them that go out and do that because it needs to be done. We need to use science as a tool to try and answer as many questions as we can. Because I love answers. I I love uh, looking into it, and I want to know more about it. And and you have to be okay that we're not going to get every answer. Maybe just a few, but I'll take those. And so when you say that, uh, you know, that's our approach is that it, it's it's meant to be entertaining. It's meant to spark discussion and thought. And it's also meant to be inclusive. We're not putting we're, we're trying not to shove anything off the table, put it all on the table. Well, and I think the, the bottom line is that uh, you and and we are actually coming from the same origin. Point. Yeah, we're just taking yeah. different approaches. Oh, yeah. And, and I think, you know, you had uh, Richard Hadamon talking about the Mothman prophecies, and I, I loved that movie. And I enjoyed the book, <laughs> yeah. and I like reading John yeah, Keel. Yeah. It's very interesting. Now, the fact that I don't necessarily agree with his conclusions sure. is, is, doesn't mean we can't have a fun conversation about it. And I think that too much of America has become this divisive, if you're not with me, you're against me kind of thing. And it's like, no, we can just disagree. It's okay. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah. no, and, and I, I see that, you know, you talk about politics. I see that with people on uh, both sides of the aisle where it's just like, well, I, I only look at this one website because you already agree with yes. it. Uh, it's, and, yeah. and it doesn't matter what it is, but it's like, no, 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 I'm getting all my news because that's the most comfortable position. It's uncomfortable to have to consider things that you don't already agree with. But I believe it should be done. So I should have emailed you this. Uh, I forgot. And I don't know if you've only listened to a couple of my episodes. You may not be aware that I usually do this. So uh, as a typical closer for one of my episodes, I usually ask a, a question of my guests, which is, what's your favorite monster? <laughs> 
For me, it's the weird hairy biped that came out of the tube that was two-dimensional from one point of view and three-dimensionals from the other and wandered off into the dark on Skinwalker Ranch. That's a good answer. Well, uh, for me, there's just it's it's like you know it's your favorite child. I there's so many of them, uh, and I don't know if you include uh, phenom- you know like vampires or any any of that kind of. Uh, oh yeah, and whatever you want it to be. The I've, we've had the weirdest answers. I, I've loved it, so it's been very <laughs> insightful. I would say then some kind of. Uh, Geez, what it, uh, what topic did we just talk about? Some kind of uh, uh, don't say goblins. Don't <laughs> say goblins. <laughs> no. We just did the Bell Witch. That was I, last night. That was like six hours ago for us. Come on. Right. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> well, there, there's so many uh, there's so many genres. If you if you're talking about uh, well, look, I you know it's, it's kind of a running gag. I don't you know mention exactly what town I'm from, but I am from the region where Bigfoot as you know, is often seen and cited and uh, had lunch with and all that kind of thing. And and uh, so I grew up with a lot of that uh, in the area and uh, even from a little kid, uh, uh, you know, hearing stories and all that. So, I mean, that has, you know, that has some childhood, uh, um, you know, uh, I give that a little deference to uh, being, you know, for the monster part. Probably favorite idea about a monster, I, I guess, or any kind of non-natural creature is uh, is like an Indrid cold. Uh, talking oh, about the yeah. movie is that somebody he's like, hey, I'm really friendly. I am so friendly. I'm frightening you, <laughs> but I, but I, <laughs> but I know a little bit about your future, and and I got a really cool ride. So I'd be like, can, can I, can I go for a ride just yeah. for a little, just a little ways? Just take me off the planet for a few minutes. And your, your rusty lantern, your and rusty your, floating lantern. Yeah, because that's possibly something I could drive. So just somebody, you know, somebody like that, where it's just like, uh, hey, I'm not really here to hurt you, but you don't know that, and you're still freaked out. But uh, let's have a chat because I have so many questions. That's good. The the Indrid Cold in, in Haddam's movie is so much more enjoyable to me than the one in uh, Derenberger's uh, actual story. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, hats off to Rich on yeah, that. Yeah, that, but see, that's what's yeah. funny is that that's the influence is that uh, he didn't want it to make, uh, he didn't want it to be that spooky. But of course, that's what, you know, that's what gets people's imaginations going. Is, that, is this guy going to use the, you know, knowledge of the future, my future against me? What's happening? And, uh, you know, it, it's, yeah, so there, there were some lines that he really fought not to include in the movie that were, I believe, suggested to him, making it more like a horror movie. And, uh, yeah, and, yeah. and, and what I, the line that I love is that, you know, when he first tried to shop it around to get it sold, uh, some other studios were like, yeah, this is all great, Rich, but uh, when does he fight the Mothman? And it's like, uh, no, 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 it's not, it's not that kind of movie. There's no end battle scenes with, uh, you know, with wands and, uh, and, you know, lightning bolts coming out. And uh, if you want that, I, I think a Dark City is a good movie for that. Yeah. <laughs> Where there's a, oh, that is a good yeah, movie. Yeah, there's an yeah, end like battle with, uh, you know, extraterrestrial slugs. And you, uh, and you got all that, and it's very cool. But that's not the type of story he wanted to tell here. And so it's a different, you know, it, it's a psychological thriller is what it is. That's outstanding. Uh, now, I, I, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover? Because I think you've got all my points, and, and we've got the article I'll post a link to when all is said and done. Um, no, I think, I think we uh, covered I, all the bases. I really. would just kind of stress, I guess, and it, it's, you know, again, that we're trying to be not too sensitive to it, but it's like all the – we never try and be disrespectful. Uh, it may I realize it may come off sounding like that. 
and uh, but we're trying to have a bit of fun, and we may laugh and and uh, giggle at some and so at some viewpoints on both ends of the spectrum, uh, but we try to be inclusive also with our with our thinking and our thoughts, and uh, and and be as respectful as we can to all the researchers out there, all the writers, authors, uh, experiencers, because. Uh, we don't discount any of it. We'll, it. We consider it all, and f especially for people that have had something kind of traumatic involved with that, it's that uh, you know I'm willing to believe that you believe it, and that's what I'll and that's what I'll say about it. And and I'm, I'm uh, we will never laugh at you and uh, or or dismiss you outright because it's not something we agree with. You know, uh, agree, no matter what know, kind yeah. of scientist you are. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, environmental well, scientist? I, I, no. Yeah. <laughs> In a sense, in a very real sense, I think you, you what you did by calling this uh, this critique of this paper is you've led to the paper becoming better, more improved, more accurate. Sure. Although what I'd also like to see is that Wikipedia page actually not pointing to that paper. It needs to point to something that's a primary source yeah. and and not use like a, an oversimplistic summary to say that, that nothing happened that night. That because something happened that night, we just don't know what. Right. And that's not what that article says right now. So uh, we have people who edit Wikipedia who listen to the show. And I, I think uh, we can set them loose on Again, that. Again, our apologies for the loss in audience. Uh, <laughs> the, three, the three people that did edit, uh, edit Wikipedia entries. Yeah. But, you know, our, our point here was, you know, Blake, I think because you mentioned and, uh, and we're totally on board with it, but it's like... Uh, you know, yeah, this should be changed, and we're like, yeah, let's let's get this. Let's always strive for more accuracy. And if we ever seem like we're a little aloof about it, it's just like ah, we're we're fighting that that uphill battle with the with these unseen giants, and we don't know how all that happens. But it, it but you got to take that first step up the hill for the towards the battle because it has to be done. We're just not sure we have the time for that. <laughs> so it's like, ah, oh, God, I hope that happens. I don't know how that happens. Uh, I'm glad oh, someone's yeah, working no, on it. Oh, yeah, no, you can't fight every war. Yeah. Right, exactly, right. Uh, knowing that the fight needs to happen and telling some other people may be the best we can do. But I, I agree. And in this case, I can't make the edits because I'm doing sure. my own research, and I, apparently that's yeah. not allowed. So that's fine. <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> sure. Uh, other yeah. people can do right. it. But I'll tell you one thing that I, I think we have in common is uh, whether we agree on what happened in these stories, I think we agree that it's these these stories are about people yeah. and and they are very human things weird situations happening to real people uh, makes for fascinating tales and and i are astonishing legends exactly monster talk you've been listening to monster talk the science show about monsters i'm blake smith and you just heard an interview with scott philbrook and forrest burgess of the astonishing legends podcast talking about the Kentucky Goblins of 1955 and the role of science and skepticism when looking into monster legends. Thanks again to Scott and Forrest for taking the time to talk with me and to correspond with me about the issues we discussed here. I'd also like to thank Rodney Schmaltz and Scott Lilienfeld. I want to make it clear that despite my concern about the wording of one sentence and their choice of this case as an example, overall, I very much agree with their paper. I've put a link to it in the show notes as well. It's certainly worth the read. Also, I want to commend them for the way they responded to my correspondence with them. The outcome of all of this is described in detail in my essay for Skeptics Insight blog, which I will link to in the show notes. Finally, I'd like to thank Jeb Card for pointing out the Evansville green-clawed hand connection to this case. Jeb's got a book in the works called Spooky Archaeology that listeners to Monster Talk are really going to enjoy. 
and I really appreciate his collaboration in matters like this case, and he is a co-host of the excellent Archie Fantasies podcast. Monster Talk is an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. The views expressed here are those of myself and my guests, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. There we have links to our Patreon pages as well as the donation button. A great way to support the show is to buy us books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindle, and we can share our digital library with each other. Finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please, share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Hi, my name is Barry Carr, and I'm here with Tom Flynn and Jim Wonderdown talking about the uh, upcoming SciCon conference this October in Las Vegas. So, uh, Tom, Jim, what are you uh, you looking forward to coming out to SciCon? I cannot wait. I will be hosting the disco party on Saturday night, and it's is it a zombie disco party? If you want to dress as a zombie, that's fine. That's what we're billing it as, a costume party, so come as you like. Yeah, and uh, we're actually going to have cash prizes and uh, dancing and drinks. Is it true that the grand prize will be a big bowl of brains? Well, leaving the brains and the zombies aside, this is a uh, conference with some heavyweights in the skeptical community. For instance, we have Richard Dawkins, Lawrence Krauss, James Randi, Eugenie Scott. The list actually goes on and on. We have almost 40 speakers coming or more. We have workshops, of course, entertainment, as we mentioned. Anything you particularly want to see? Uh, my dear friend uh, Richard Wiseman will be here, also from the U.K., author of Quirkology. I can't wait to see him. And don't forget Richard Saunders from Australia. It's going to be Richard's busting out all over. It's the richness of Richard's. <laughs> it absolutely yeah. is. I'll be gambling, too, at some point. No, no, skeptics weekend. do not gamble. I, skeptics well, don't gamble. I we guess. know the odds. We I don't have, do if, that. If my experience last year is any indication, no, no. skeptics do not gamble, skeptics win i have a system very i have a system that is guaranteed to win i'm gonna grab a stack of chips and run (laughs) there you go okay the uh, new yorker writer maria konnikova is going to be receiving the uh, ballas award for critical thinking for her most recent book right the confidence game yeah maria was a speaker last year she spoke about the confidence game last year this year she's talking about her new book which is about luck Ah, so what what better 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 talk about luck She'll vindicate me. The Skeptical Toolbox people will be there. Ray Hyman, Jim Elcock, Harriet Hall. And speaking of skeptics groups that are coming, we have the Skeptics Guide to the Universe. The whole uh, the whole show, the whole crew is coming this year. It seems a little skeptic heavy, don't you think, this conference? This is the Skeptics Heavyweight event of the year. It so, does yes. not get better than it this. It does not get better than this. So we hope to see you there. It's uh, October 26th to the 29th at the Excalibur Hotel. It's the, the one that looks like the big castle. You know, you'll see it when you fly into the airport you see the towers rapunzel's there it's the one that looks like the walt disney opium dream so come check us out in las vegas monster talk theme music is by pete stealing monkeys thanks again for listening
you know that you can now subscribe to Skeptic Magazine digitally? Just grab our free Skeptic Magazine app, currently compatible with iOS, Android, PC, Mac, Kindle Fire, Kindle Fire HD, and BlackBerry Playbook. Head over to skeptic.com slash magazine slash app to find out more and download more of your favorite Skeptic content. So there must be a natural explanation for this. And what's the best one? Owls. I would absolutely agree with that. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.